Again, my name is Sagar Bhatt. This is the Anxiety Lab. Thanks for tuning in. This episode is part two of my conversation with my guest from last week, the very compassionate and very wise Ari Goldfield. Uh, I got a lot of uh, great feedback on that episode, and I'm excited to keep talking with Ari uh, because there was a lot that he laid out last time, and I wanted to unpack it a little bit more. Specifically, we get into the importance of really being with experience versus intellectualizing. I, I often intellectualize. I did it last time. We, we get into that. Uh, you know, for me personally, Buddhist texts have so much terminology and frameworks uh, that they really enable kind of the type A achiever part of me to over-conceptualize everything and really get uh, disconnected from experience uh, in this process of trying to figure everything out. Uh, and, and get it right. So we get into that. We also get it. I mean, part of that relates to another topic we cover, which was teased last time, and that's spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing is such a subtle but powerful phenomenon. Uh, I, I, you can't underestimate its prevalence amongst practitioners. You can't overestimate or under... No, I... I think both work, actually. You, you can say that we can't underestimate it in terms of, you know, don't underestimate it. It would be a mistake if you underestimated it because it's really big. Um, but I think you, you could also say you can't overestimate it in the sense that uh, it, it's impossible to overestimate. No matter how big your estimate is, it wouldn't be too big. So, so both work, it turns out. This is the beginning of my breakdown, by the way. So to officially define spiritual bypassing. This is from the book Towards a Psychology of Awakening by John Wellwood. He was the person that coined spiritual bypassing. Um, And thank you to my friend Ben Shapiro for introducing me to John Wellwood. That's uh, Ben Shapiro, the Brooklyn musician, not the conservative commentator. Although I heard he listens. Hello, Ben. Spiritual bypassing is using spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep personal, emotional, unfinished business, to shore up a shaky sense of self, or to belittle basic needs, feelings, and developmental tasks. So to me, that, that's saying, you know, rather than using mindfulness and spirituality to better understand ourselves and face our suppressed pain and emotions, it, it becomes a way to escape these things instead. So perhaps uh, going on too many retreats as a way to not face the messiness of your own life. Or like, I I don't have to pay rent tomorrow. Rent, and tomorrow for that matter, are just thoughts. I I could watch those thoughts float by as I vibrate here in the present. Vibrations don't have to pay rent. Or, Or my favorite example is, you know, if you're someone who really needs to see yourself as special... You can use mindfulness and enlightenment as ways to feel self-important and really elevated. And, and that feeling of being elevated helps you avoid um, less you know, flattering parts of yourself. And, and that can be moment to moment. You, you can have a genuine experience of presence. And then the next moment, ooh, look how present I'm being. I'm more present than other people. Have I done this? Of course. Have I also become aware of that and then pat myself on the back for noticing that and being better than other spiritual bypassers? 100% yes. 
So once again, Ari Goldfield is a Buddhist teacher. And once again, he is just so amazing and insightful. I, I feel lucky to have gotten to speak with him. You could find more on Ari at wisdomsun.org, which is also in the episode notes. And as always, feel free to hit me up at theanxietylab at gmail.com. Uh, just let me know how you're doing. Let me know what you're thinking, what you're eating, what's making you anxious. And also, if there's anything you'd like to hear discussed on, on one of these episodes. And that's all I got for now. Hope you enjoy part two with Ari Goldfield. All right. I am here with Ari Goldfield again. So Ari, I, I, I wanted to first just reflect on our prior conversation. I, I was listening to it as I was editing and, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts. I, first of all, love that conversation. I, I thought I presented some important aspects of myself. I might've even made a few good points. Uh, you were wise on a whole different level. I, I was just amazed, uh, re-listening and, and I was like, why, why am I quoting John Wellwood? I, I should just be listening to you and quote what you're saying. Uh, and, and I, I guess I bring this up because, you know, there were times I noticed you were inviting me to really turn towards feelings of pain and sadness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talked about this loss of identity I felt during the pandemic. I'm no longer a comedian, like this special person on stage, you know, and, and without this, I, I guess, mm-hmm. protective shell, a lot of uncomfortable feelings might come up. And, and you were really calling me to be with those feelings. And, and this is something you said beautifully last time. I, I want to just emphasize it. Uh, allow yourself to grieve the loss of identity. Let yourself feel the sadness. The part of you that isn't identified with what you lost, hold that experience with love. And, and so for me, and, and, you know, instead of being, as you were calling me to do, instead of being with these feelings fully, I, I, I think I was just a little bit quick to intellectualize, like how, how can we frame this sadness in terms of Buddhist principles? You know, what, what does the sadness say about the nature of self and all of that? And look, I mean, those are important teachings. I'm, I'm glad we covered those. Uh, I, I, I'm just saying I think I was just a little bit too quick to maybe go to those frameworks rather than direct experience, which mm-hmm. is, is true in my life in general, I would say. Uh, so, so did you sense any of this at all? Well, I also really enjoyed our conversation. And uh, it was great. And I think I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't say it was something that stood out. But when we were talking uh, in you, I thought you were great partner and very willing to kind of, you know, travel together. Uh, but I, I, I do, I do think, you know, it's an important question. And certainly from the questions that you posed to me in the emails that you sent before we met the first time, um, it comes up for me around, um, again, like, so all the Buddhist teachings are fantastic, but at the same time, something the Buddha said, which I think is really important, is always be aware of the time and the place that I gave a teaching. The time, yeah. the place to whom I was talking, right. right? And so what that tells me is we really have to be aware of ourselves as the subject interacting with these teachings and what we're about, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we in the modern world, some people say postmodern, that's fine. 
I, I don't think, I, I think in my experience, this cuts across east, west, north, south. I don't think it's a, you know, it's a, an east, west thing um, anymore. I think we're all kind of in this boat of, you know, really being up in our brain, in our head. Yeah. With a lot of um, conceptualism, conceptual. Right. And, and we're even. Yeah. No, no, I'm sorry. I just wanted to add we're even conceptualizing being in our heads and being even the teaching of being in your body is, is sometimes by me another thought. Yeah. Well, that's been that's been my experience, too. I mean, it's been years you know, I feel like, you know, kind of like summiting Everest in a way, like coming down into my body feels like a real progression over a long period of time that I'm still definitely uh, engaged in uh, right. doing that more and more. And so uh, to me, it's just like the, the, the aspect of the teachings that feels most relevant is not necessarily the theories of selflessness or emptiness. I think they're important. It's good to be aware of them, but the main thing is how do we how do we uh, the, the Mahamudra teachings of, of Indo Tibetan Buddhism are about really direct experience, and so the non duality that they describe is, as I understand it, really a space where there's no feeling of separation between myself and my experience like there's just uh there's just right. an indivisible flow of this ocean of of energy right of this right and so so yeah so that's what i think is that's where the juice is for us if we can really follow that then we can have you know some pretty powerfully transformative and healing results from it Mm. I think my mind goes to some of Alan Watts' material when I think of he explained it in a way that was the clearest to me and and was like an you know kind of like a holy shit moment when I read it of of when we have this thought I am angry versus there is anger. Mm-hmm. You know the I am angry is separate as if there's a me that can maybe escape this anger that should theoretically be immune to the anger that's maybe that that the pain mm-hmm. is in that separation. Uh, and, and so, and, and here I am maybe now I'm a little bit in my head of, am I doing it again? Am I just getting to this consistently just making everything academic, but but no, let's go back to, this is my tendency and, and what you mentioned totally applies to me where these big concepts of selflessness, when I am still at, in the mercy of this division within myself of I have to be something that that division will just co-opt this insight of selflessness as as another maybe measure of success as a, another another measure of attainment and and mm-hmm. when it's an attainment I've I by definition I'm someone right now who hasn't attained so this core kind of mental atmosphere of just I'm not right I need to get right that's the part that you're encouraging us to really heal that base level. It's, it's not about the... Well, I think there are different, there are different paths to up the mountain, right? So, so 
just because this sort of kind of brings in the psychological aspect of ourselves and the question of like, well, what, what is it that made it so, why did we start thinking in the first place that I have to achieve in order to be somebody? Right. Right. What's going on with that? Right. Where, where does that come from? And what I was, I think, alluding to um, a few minutes ago is that it's like that that's part of conditional acceptance, right? I, I'm, I'm only acceptable if I am this or that. Right. I mean, that's what I was getting to is this conditional yeah. acceptance. That core, I guess, software is, is still running and it'll just gobble up any spiritual insight it can for its own purpose. Very well put. Exactly. And, and it'll even say like, okay, well, I'm not good unless I realize emptiness or selflessness, right? It'll, it'll co-opt anything. It's You're as exactly if you lifted right. that dialogue right out of my brain. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's evidenced by, well, I'll say this too. It's evidenced by, I think, how early on I got into this stuff. And again, I don't want to oversimplify and say, okay, well, I got into it because of, you know, just this need to feel special and enlightened. That doesn't necessarily make the whole enterprise corrupted, you know, as as... I've read in, in John Wellwood's book about how, you know, well, we have to be careful. There are some good things maybe in the defenses that yeah. can't just be discarded. So I'm, I'm not saying that right. it, it maybe wasn't of value to me and maybe um, I, I can appreciate the ways that it was valuable. But that said, I was at an age where I hadn't yet – I'm, I'm talking like maybe 24, 25 is when I really started to get into meditation and, and spirituality – and I was totally in a place where I haven't hadn't really reconciled, you know, my childhood trauma. I was very much in the grips of this uh, mental mm-hmm. way of being, which which could be defined as just needing not not feeling okay, and just this frantic search and attempt to just getting to a place where I feel good enough. Yeah. And so the spiritual, I mean, how grandiose is spirituality? you know, in terms of feeling right. really elevated. And and so that, yeah. that to me says it right there. Yes, it can be sort of the ultimate achievement, right? We can't imagine anything better than sort of becoming like Buddha or Jesus, you know, taking our space on the, on the Mount Rushmore of, of, of the deities. Um, so sure. And at the same time, I think you're right to point out it's not, it's not all like that because I, I, what's so sweet and precious and amazing about being a human being is connecting with, for me, I think, just connecting with the deep sense of longing, mm. the deep longing to unite with what is ultimate, you know, what is what is true, what is most true, what is most genuine. And when I think of like how spiritual traditions started, I think of just a group of people, you know, sitting around a small group of people and just sort of wondering about, you know, law, you know, centuries ago, it's like we human beings were so vulnerable 
Like anything can just come along and wipe us out. Right. What do we have? Like what, what do we have as a resource, as a refuge? Um, given the situation we're in, like we as human beings are the one species that, you know, really that we know of. I don't want to, I don't want to get into <laughs> kind of, you know, it's, right now it's important to really connect with how everybody, all beings are the same on this planet. But I think what human beings have that we know we have is the ability to wonder about that question, right? What do we have? What can we do? Like, what what do we have in our favor? And, 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 and I think that there starts this search for, you know, this, this core mm. in ourselves, which is truly um, special and unchanging and in some inconceivable way, uh, invulnerable to all the external dangers in the world. And therein sort of starts the spiritual quest. So I, I, I guess, think, no, I'm sorry. Um, just to finish that, I think, you know, to the extent that we, I, I think that that is present in people who connect with spirituality somewhere, somehow, and that's really beautiful. And if we could sort of have that and sort of peel away all the psychological, the you know, the search for this conditional acceptance and just connect with that sort of pure purity of intention mm-hmm. and heart within ourselves. You know, it's so it's so strong and great. Hmm. But but do you even think that this purity of heart, as you said, you know, this unconditioned place that's invulnerable to external danger, do do you think that this place is even possible to access until someone's first understood their conditioning or even just seen their conditioning? Do you know what I mean? Like like for me, before I get to this unconditioned place, I, I feel like I need to first see the conditioning for what it is and over time break down the delusion. D- does that make sense? Well, that, that question of the relationship between psychological and spiritual development, I mean, I've been grappling with that for 10 years at least. You know, I mean, like ever since I saw, you know, in my own, in the tradition that I was brought up in, the Tibetan tradition, um, you know, I got close with a lot of the very high teachers. I was very fortunate. I learned a lot from them. I, I spent many years with my own teacher who is, you know, incredibly highly regarded and I regard him in the same way. But I saw the, the uh, I, I experienced um, the, the, uh, the difficulties that they pretty much uniformly ran into because they didn't have a vehicle for psychological uh, growth and development along with spiritual growth. So this causes a lot of problems. Mm. Um, I think it's best when they can go hand in hand. I don't think, you know, you have to wait to do one before the other, but just to understand, like we are multifaceted, we are complex as human beings and, uh, and, and one can aid the other, right? They can have a mutually beneficial relationship. Yeah, they absolutely can. And they have for me that that relationship between mindfulness and Western psychotherapy has been incredibly beneficial for my own you know, understanding of things in myself. Uh, but I, I wanted to clarify because when I asked, I, you know, when I said conditioning, 
I, I wasn't strictly referring to my own history and you know the events and relationships that have shaped who I am personally. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I was also referring to conditioning in you know the Buddhist sense. You know all of the ways that my mind, uh, in its very subtle ways, believes in permanent, everlasting happiness, holds on to uh, a delusional self, or clings to identity, and just just you know noticing how foundational these states are in my everyday consciousness. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, I, I, I'm just starting to realize how deep these mind habits run and, and just how constant my need is to shore up feelings of pain and, and, and feel safe. And, you know, I'm always planning, worrying, uh, and, and I'm always picturing myself in my mind all the time. <laughs> and and it, it's obsessive. And so for me, before I even think about getting to some unconditioned place, I, I feel like I need to be with the conditioned in, in all of its textures and feelings and mental formations. And, you know, as we talked about last time, how so much can just happen on an atmospheric level. And I, I want to uncover this stuff and, and see all of it for what it is. And then maybe it's useful to talk about, you know, some unconditioned divine place. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That That's just what my thinking is. Because, you know, when, when people talk about this, timeless, you know, this timeless part of you uh, that's invincible in the face of death, disease, all of that. I, I don't know that I've encountered it or can encounter it. Well, yeah, no, I hear you. It's really important, and I'm, I'm glad to hear you speaking up for your own process, because I think it's so important that we pay attention to our individual experience vis a vis our spiritual and psychological development and see really like what's working for me and where am I and what do I really need right now. So I don't think there's a one, I don't think there's a, you know, one answer for everybody. But I mean, just what I've learned is I, I do believe that um, with regard to this question about this kind of anxiety that you're describing and the, and the, in the awareness of, you know, how the drive, the need to be accepted in this conditional way is affecting us. Mm. I mean, um, Coben Chino Roshi, who was a guy, he said, he had a great line. Self-acceptance is the hardest thing to do. Yeah, That's, I guess in in a sustainable way, I, I completely yeah. agree. I mean, I've I've self acceptance I have right now versus even three years ago is exponential. Right. Well, great. Good for you. Yet, good for it's, you. <laughs> yet, it it still pales in comparison to the level of of self flagellation. I think. Although these <laughs> days I feel all right. I, I think I even in the last. I guess it's been a month since we last talked. It, it I do feel a little bit better, lighter. Well, I guess. I'm, I'm really happy for you. I think along those lines, I mean, sort of a, a close relationship, like a therapeutic relationship with somebody who you or I or whoever feel like is offering us unconditional acceptance for who we are completely, even the parts that we feel ashamed of, feel are messy and, you know, are unworthy of being known. I mean, that is of immeasurable benefit. So, 
Mm. You know, people who are interested, I think, sometimes in the spiritual path can kind of discount that. Um, but I, I wouldn't. I mean, I know how much it's benefited me to have therapists to feel to feel like I'm in a relationship with people and also in my family. I, you know, I've learned to how to how to ask for that and and open to it. Um, yeah, I mean, some would even say that that stuff. And I would agree with this. Like, you can't even separate that stuff from the spiritual. Like, you know, if someone's saying that relationships, being seen, all of that stuff is somehow apart from the spiritual path, then uh, then I'd say well, that they have it wrong. Is it? Is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, well, I think that what happens is that we have this idea of you know, rugged individualism, and in America, at least, right? And sort of the modern world is more and more like that. Uh, where communal structures gradually disappear and you're supposed to be able to handle things on your own. And so that kind of dovetails with this message that like I have, I'm supposed to have no attachment. I don't need anything. You know, I'm just totally fully self contained. Uh, and, uh, and that I think is dangerous. Uh, it, it's not healthy to have that attitude. I think Aristotle said it perfectly. Um, said human beings are spirit are, are social animals the one who stays alone is either a beast or a god right we need we need others uh, we need relationships yeah and also what the meditation spiritual path can offer us is connecting with ourselves in a deeper and deeper way so i would say in answer to your question I would encourage you to continue this the, the, with the longing and following your longing to really connect with this core nature that you have uh, while um, doing other things that help the, your, your sense of self, uh, of worthiness, of unconditional worthiness to increase and the, and the opposite conditioning to diminish. So I think both can happen. Yeah, uh, I, I love this term, uh, the razor's edge. I, I love it so much, I'm, I'm not going to stop myself from using it right now, even though I <laughs> admit to not fully understanding it. But, you know, the razor's edge, as I understand it, is this undefined present moment. The minute you've defined it, you're off the razor's edge because reality is ever-changing, ever-fluid. Uh, so with regards to other people, if I define it one way, like, oh, I am better off maybe alone, that's where the real growth can happen, or I am I need to be around people. Well, it depends. Let's be with what is and let's see what emerges. Sometimes being with people is a defense against uncomfortable stuff that happens when you're alone, and sometimes being alone is the defense. That, that's the escape. Is that, is that, is that anything? Yeah, and I think this is why, like, just just paying attention to our experience, like, and just checking in, what am I feeling? What do I feel like I need? You know, there was a there's a story about Milarepa, who was a famous Tibetan yogi, um, who you know reportedly achieved a very high level of realization. But he was meditating and he was just like tying himself up into knots and he couldn't, he was getting skinnier and skinnier and he was trying harder and harder and it wasn't working. And uh, um, his sister and his former um, fiance, they both came 
to visit him and they brought him meat and beer. And uh, he said, oh, that, I think that can help me. So, you know, that's because that's what they had in Tibet. I mean, they ate a lot of meat. And uh, so, so he ate the meat and drank the beer. And all of a sudden he just felt better. Mm. Uh, and he felt the sort of knots in him loosen up. Uh, and, uh, and he, you know, just sort of like sang this song, this song of the miracles of interdependence and interrelationship. So I'm not advocating for people to go out and, and, you know, drink beer and eat meat. I'm vegan personally, um, but I don't mind, you know, people eat meat, whatever. That's not the point. The point is uh, just listen to what you need. Mm. Like just, just asking yourself, what do I need is a profound question. And it's like, if, if it's like, I need to be with people now, or I need to be alone. That's okay. There's no, there's no theory about that. Like we can't plan that in advance. Yeah. Real quick, though, did, did I use Razor's Edge anywhere in the vicinity of correctness? I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, ah. like, I think, you know, it's a it's a term that um, that gets used in a in a in a variety of different contexts. I, 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 I personally, I prefer just sort of like um, the metaphor of play playfulness. Yeah, not in the not in the sense of like frivolity, but just sort of like feeling like the stakes aren't so high, you know, just where, where we feel like we feel loved and appreciated and we can sort of be ourselves and not be afraid, not be afraid of making mistakes, not be afraid of, uh, you know, being messy. I, I guess it's speaking to this idea of reality being completely fluid and ever changing and certain things can't be defined one way or the other. Yeah, and and, and to I guess, really walk this line is to be present and open to whatever is happening, rather than I need this, I need that. Beer is definitely bad. I'm not going to have it. Right. Yeah. And I just say, you know, I, and maybe you're doing this already. It's totally cool. But just don't worry about falling off the edge. You know, if you fall off, uh, it's like falling onto a big you know, piece of uh, a big marshmallow, you know, you're just going to bounce back and, you know, get back to where you yeah. were. And yeah. So just, so just like that, you don't have to be afraid of, er of error one way or the other in this context. Yeah. You're, you're as to the extent that the present moment is available, which it always is. You can always find your footing again. Great. Yeah. Perfect. So we circled around this earlier, but I, I wanted to officially hit the concept of spiritual bypassing. Uh, and, and I'm actually going to quote you from last time because you, you just put it so succinctly. So spiritual bypassing is when unconscious material co-ops a spiritual teaching in its own defense. That, that to me is brilliant. Uh, and, and I wanted to officially get that in there because I wanted to officially confess that, yeah, I, I totally do that. I've done that. Uh, I'm probably doing it right now. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's this feeling that, you know, I think I'm spiritually transformed. Oh, oh, look at me. I've conquered my narcissistic ego. I've conquered my need to be grandiose and, and impressive. Um, this is all specific to me. Uh, but, but really, I've just replaced that identity with a new identity, which, which is just as elevated and special. And, you know, it, it, it's just as, I, I guess, 
much of a crutch as the old one. Uh, my new identity is, oh, not, now I'm enlightened guy. Now I'm vulnerable guy. So, so this central mechanism is still in place. Uh, and, and look, I, you know, there's real growth too. As we said earlier, I, I don't want to discount all of this. Um, but, but this psychological habit of you know, clinging to identity in order to run away from pain and sadness, that's still in full effect. Well, first of all, I just have to say I have to credit Jennifer Wellwood, John's uh, wife. Oh. Now, you know, sadly, her his widow. But um, Jennifer Wellwood is the one who taught me that definition of spiritual bypassing. Well, thanks so, for coming uh, clean. Pardon me? Uh, thank you for coming clean there. <laughs> so, yeah, she's the she, she's fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, I think that pride is also not to be feared. You know, we don't mm-hmm. need to be afraid of our pride. So if we accomplish something and we're ha- and we feel proud of it, that's okay. It, it's, there's no, in the perspective of the Ma Murder view, um, the disturbing emotions are not to be uh, shunned because their nature is also pure. So, so pr- pride is okay. Disappointment is okay. Um, it's it's uh, it's most relaxed when we can, we can just be aware of whatever our experience is and allow it to happen. So for noticing that we're feeling you know proud and I'm doing this now and I, I feel really good about it and I feel I'm good at it and I'm challenged by it. I like it and we notice sort of like yeah I'm this is this is something cool about me. Okay, sure. <laughs> just just let yourself have that feeling. Uh, sure. I but I have noticed for me it it has been another way to avoid the the pain and the sadness is to wrap my identity around something different. I'm gonna. This is how John Wellwood defines it, and and you could tell me if his wife stole it from him. Uh, <laughs> or he stole well, it from his wife. No, that's what I meant. Uh, <laughs> While still struggling to find themselves, many people are introduced to spiritual teachings and practices that urge them to give themselves up. As a result, they wind up using spiritual practices to create a new, quote-unquote, spiritual identity, which is actually an old, dysfunctional identity based on avoidance of unresolved psychological issues, repackaged in a new guise. Damn. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I think, yeah, and so... I would just say that there can you can feel instead of like a should or like you're doing something there's something not right in what you're doing but just like okay well maybe there's an invitation to me to go into my pain right, right. maybe there's just an invitation like okay well I just wonder like am I am I bypassing this is there pain here okay well let me just explore it for a little while and see just check in with this part of myself it's like Okay, we've got these different parts of ourselves. One part of ourselves, you know, loves the spiritual path, loves meditation, but there might be this other part that's still hurting and feels a little bit like, you know, the little kid at the end of the Pied Piper story just kind of left behind, right? So let me just go back and connect with that part of myself and the pain and see what's happening there. Find out. Does it have anything? Does it have a message for me? How's it doing? I think I'm able to 
notice it and really just – this sounds really simple, but I, I wonder um, if, if it deserves to be emphasized. A couple of nights ago, I was – oftentimes I'll wake up at you know 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and my mind will just start, and I'll anguish. And there's a lot that I was trying to figure out. There's some travel I have coming up. There's some projects, just a, a big mess. And at that hour, I'm just – yeah, just just – this almost incoherent mental chatter that thinks it's serving a purpose and all of this is happening and I'm planning and I'm worrying. And then I just put my hand on my heart, took a deep breath and was like, you're in pain right now. You are in pain. And that was, yeah, just having a little bit of tenderness to, to myself and maybe stepping out of this cycle of analysis or, or, or and even seeing the analysis as maybe a manifestation of the pain. Beautiful. That's beautiful. And yeah. so, I mean, would you say that for me the work is to maybe just increase those types of moments and and move quicker out of my thought patterns of analysis and anxiety into that place of I am in pain. Let's just sit with it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a beautiful experience you describe and, and yeah, it's like, you know, it's like this part of you is like the part of us, the part of you that's in pain is like, it's like the, the, our closest friend who's sitting there in the hospital, you know, behind that door. And we just, we just want to open that door and go in and be with them. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to get angry at them for being still sick, you know, even if it's been a long time. Uh, don't have to try to fix them, but just to be together in this, you know, space of love. And just to like sort of offer that part of yourself that's in pain, like, hey, I can't fix you, but I love you. And I'm going to be with you and I'm not going to let you go. Could we say that until I've done that, I will continue to be at war with myself? And in a way, at war with life. Well, though, I'd say, you know, the more you can do that, I wouldn't necessarily put them in juxtaposition because I think then there's this other part of you that like feels the need to, to fight the war. Mm-hmm. You know, and that part needs love too. So mm-hmm. that's a whole nother part. Like let's, you know, that, that part we don't want to view as an enemy, right. Of ourselves, because that part is somehow also is just searching for love. Right. So mm-hmm. we can say like, I recognize what you really want is connection. You want to be recognized yourself by people. You you don't want to be excluded. Right. So, so just to like, I love you too. I love you and I see you and we don't need to struggle like that so much because I'm here and we're together. Sure, sure. And and is it also helpful to not just wait for these moments to to arise before I offer that healing to maybe find practices throughout the day? That can Absolutely. do that regardless. 
Absolutely. That's like calling your friend in the hospital. Say, mm. how are you doing? What's going mm-hmm. on? What are you feeling today? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I would guess that if we only wait for moments of despair to provide that level of unconditional healing, I mean, that that obviously is a great uh, step and practice, but that that kind of rewiring toward self-love maybe happens more efficiently through having a dedicated practice. Yeah, I mean... Yes. I mean, the more that we are active and sort of offering, you know, sort of connecting with ourselves, we don't want to wait just for the emergencies, right? But just, it's just like any relationship, right? The more that active we are, the better it'll feel. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you don't wait to exercise until you, you know, your body breaks down, Right. You, you, hopefully, we. It's like you know, the more we pay attention to ourselves and how we're doing and our well-being, including our emotional well-being, then the better off it's going to be. But it just takes time, and that's the hard thing. It's hard to really come back from the connecting with the external and focusing on that to focusing on the internal. That's the challenge. But the more that we love ourselves, I think the easier it gets. So it's just a process. Yeah, and I'm, and this is maybe a curiosity or, or a revelation I've had lately, which might complicate things. But, you know, it, for me, it's not just about, I mean, it, it, it is often and, and perhaps should be about dropping the anxious thoughts and turning to this tenderness. But also I want to observe these anxious thoughts and really see how they are illusions and constructions. I think that also, you know, to, to really see them in their true nature will, will I suspect help me along my way, you know, not, not this kind of turning away, but also to like be there and to, and to have them lose their power in that way, you know? Yeah, that's, a, that that's a good that's a good approach. And also, I think sometimes it's okay just to let yourself feel the anxiety and just be like, I'm not going to be afraid of anxiety. I'm not going to be afraid of fear. Let it come. It's all right. Open to it with loving acceptance. Again, know that it can't really hurt you because it's just the play of your own consciousness. Mm-hmm. And just mm-hmm. when it comes up, just say, okay, I'm feeling anxious. Let your, let that feeling be. Yeah, j- that felt sense of I'm That's not right. okay. Connecting with what, what does anxiety feel like? It's just a sensation in my body, right? It's, it's, not, it's not somebody coming to destroy me. It can't really hurt me. It's just my mind experiencing itself. So just open to it without being afraid of it. Just like you were talking about, like with the pain, like I'm in pain. Okay, now I'm anxious. I mean, just open to that. Uh Uh-huh. But don't we need to also make room for the teaching of letting go here? Because while I can kind of coach myself 
okay, you're okay. This is just anxiety. None of that stuff is happening. Sometimes in life, that stuff does happen. Sometimes accidents, bad things, of course, happen. So, and, and so the letting go is critical because we have to allow that, although I feel okay right now, this kind of traditional way that I've defined okayness isn't, was never real to begin with as far as lasting security and health. So we, we have to hold both together, right? It, it's a bit complex, huh? Yeah, I mean, there's, some, there's a level of health that's deeper than physical health even. And when we can find that, then health and sickness can both come and we're able to roll with that much more easily. And what is your relationship to that level of health? Well, I mean, I, I think I'm still contacting it. You know, I'm, I, I'm not there completely yet by any means, but there's just this sort of deep, I, I have this belief, belief that there's this place in me that's always fundamentally okay. And it's just about, can I just rest in that? Even if just for a moment, that helps a lot. Just feels so much more free and relaxed. And, and it's a place that maybe you you can encounter from time to time, and then maybe not fully feel all of what you're suggesting, but but maybe over time it expands. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. It's love. I, you know, we're kind of at the end here, but I just want to come back to this. There's so much love in this place. It's like it's like the experience of when you feel loved and you feel love yourself. There's no problem. Wow. Wonderful. I, I can't thank you enough again, Ari. You've been so generous, and I've once again loved this conversation. I'm sure I'll hit you up again in two months when I re-listen to this one and uh, find more things to rag on myself about. But uh, for now, this has been a pleasure. Well, yeah, it's been great. I've, uh, it's been wonderful spending time with you. You're, you're such a, you have so much sincerity and, um, and you're also a great, uh, you, you bring stuff back to your personal experience when you ask questions. So, I mean, I, I think that's fantastic. You're a great interviewer. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I just I'm happy that we got to connect in this way and for me to know you because I I'm excited to see where your life goes. Thank you so much. I, I'm a little bit anxious now over whether or not to leave that in the episode. Uh, is it insecurity to leave it in? Is it insecurity to not leave it in? Uh, ah, we'll the see. eternal question. <laughs> Reg, not leaving me hanging. Uh, what what an absolute delight. Thank you again to Ari, and thank you for listening. Uh, once again, you can find Ari at wisdomsun.org. You can get in touch with this show at the Anxiety Lab at Gmail or my Instagram, S-A-G-A-R-B-O-T. All of this is in the episode notes as well. And I say this at the end of each one, but if you haven't yet rated and reviewed me on Apple Podcasts, uh, if you could, if you're enjoying this, it would it would help. And that's it. Until next time, uh, goodbye and be well. I, I don't have a sign-off. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I should have the same thing at the end of each episode or 
Uh, goodbye and be well seems good enough. I'll leave it there. I love you. Ah, that's a bit much. All right. I do love you, though. Okay. <laughs>